Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Today, we're going to be discussing the Lego movie, the second part, and also an After Dark featuring Russian Doll, uh, which is a show that I, uh, on last week's episode of this podcast, I said I'd watch two episodes of, and I, I said... I'm not particularly interested in finishing it. And everyone berated me into finishing it. Peter Serretta, Devinder Hardwar, a bunch yep. of people from my my work, my <laughs> boss, my boss's boss was saying how good it was. Listen, listen, Dave, if you don't finish this, you're fired. Yeah. Okay? I mean, Bezos got on the phone with you and was like, Chen. Yeah. That's how that's how he talked. He calls me Chen. It's a it's a term. I'm working on the letter right now, but before I finish. <laughs> I, the most important thing on my plate these days. <laughs> <laughs> is whether or not you've watched the show on another competing service. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so uh, I did finish it. Jeff Kanata also finished it. And I Indeed. think it's safe to say there's enough there to warrant us discussing it in After Dark. So, Indeed. Uh, so we are going to be doing that uh, in today's After Dark. Before we get to that, uh, we got some uh, what we've been watching to bring to you. So that's what we got in store for today's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Let's get to it, shall we? Uh, gentlemen, have you heard of this documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight, which is oh, what yeah. I've been watching on Netflix this week? We'll, we'll, we'll never watch. We'll never watch. <laughs> so tell me, tell me why you will never watch. What, what have you heard about this documentary, Jeff? I saw the title. <laughs> and that's it. So you'll never watch it, right? And Devendra, have you heard of, heard of it or seen it? Oh, yeah. I've heard um, – I remember when this movie was doing the festival run, I mm. think, like last year or 2017, and people were freaking out about it. So, so I'm yeah. going to describe – like, Jeff, you're, you're not going to watch it, so you don't care about, like, plot details, yes? Is that, Correct. Is that okay? Yeah. So uh, Abducted in Plain Sight is a documentary. Uh, it, it just hit Netflix. And you, as we've been talking about, there's this phenomenon where um, – Things hit Netflix and then they're rediscovered by large audiences, and that's happening with this movie, which is uh, written and shot and then directed by Sky Borgman. And uh, I'm going to read the plot summary. Uh, this is a, a documentary. Quote, in 1974, 12-year-old Jan Broberg is abducted from a small church-going community in Idaho by a trusted neighbor and close family friend, end quote. I, I am not going to describe anything that happens past the first 20 minutes of this film, right? Maybe 25 minutes, which is that it's about the, this family, the Brobergs, who are targeted by a pedophile. And uh, the pedophile is, is like really trying to get to this girl named Jan. And uh, in order to do that, he knows that he needs to uh, destroy slash manipulate Jan's parents. So he essentially starts affairs with both of them uh, and like uses that as a way to get to Jan because that's like what he really wants because he is a sick and disgusting pedophile. Jesus. And okay. that's the first 20 minutes and it gets worse than that. like that's that's where the movie begins mm -hmm. <laughs> and it just gets more depraved and upsetting from that point. So this is what you do for fun David Chen. You, I mean you watch yeah, stuff like this. Fun is a strong word, uh but that is, <laughs> you know, the, the, I do spend a lot of my time watching documentaries. Um, so this guy wants to have sex with someone so bad that he's willing to have sex with other people. Yes, to get to the it's really upsetting. It's it's uh, it's yeah, a kind yeah. of it's a kind of like depravity that we, we we don't like to think about as existing in the world. Yeah. Right? Well, luckily somebody made a movie about it. Yeah, and luckily like millions of people are watching it. Uh, I, I mean, 
uh, here is what's good about this film is that like, uh, first of all, it will make you scared of everything and everyone, right? Yep, not watching um, it. It will, it will make you not trust a single person ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in all seriousness, I, I think that you know w- one thing that movies like this do one one way they have value is allowing victims of sexual crimes to tell their stories, right? And and to get those stories out there, um, and uh, in some way for uh, some form of justice to be done through the telling of stories. I do think that the documentary has some issues. Uh, the the primary issue being that. The vast majority of Netflix shows, I think, are too long, right? Like, I feel like they go on for one or two episodes too long. This is the only Netflix show I've seen, or one of the only Netflix shows I've seen, that I Mm -hmm. feel is way too short. It's 90 minutes long. These people are cruising through these plot developments at light speed. I mean, they're just, like, saying, like, all this – they're throwing – tossing out (laughs) – all this messed up stuff happening, like left and right, and I'm just like, my mind is like, I need time to adjust to this reality, this hellish reality that you've. Put I think this me movie in. it was made before the Netflix like uh, docs got really popular. Uh, it was made in 2017, so it was not that yeah. long ago. Um, but I think, I mean, it was not. I don't think it was made for Netflix, right? Netflix didn't commission yeah, yeah, yeah. a 90-minute documentary. Um, yeah. But Netflix would have been like, God, I see a series. Yeah, here. like I see like a sure. six-part series, right? And um, so uh, I, I think the movie spends more time talking to its subjects. Like the, there's uh, interviews with all the subjects involved. And the interviews are more concerned with recounting plot details or, or story details. Not plot. I'm sorry. It's a real life story. Recounting the details of a story than they are with reflecting on the story or thinking about the implications of the story. It's It's mostly just story versus introspection or reflection. And I think that doesn't serve the story particularly well because there's so many um, things that are very, very upsetting that you kind of want the movie to to pause a little bit, reflect on what's happening because the mind needs time to adjust to them. Anyway, um, I, I do think there's a value in, in movies like this, uh, but it's definitely not for the faint of heart and probably only for those who are really uh, true crime devotees. Uh, it's weird to even talk – like I, I do think it's very odd that we've made true crime, like actual tragedies in people's lives into uh, an entertainment genre, right? That the, the, like millions of dollars are yeah. uh, spent and invested and you know consumed you know, it's using – It's definitely weird. Right, like, it's on, after, on true crime. I, it's, it's the logical conclusion to people binging like uh, Law & Order. You know, forever. It's like, no, let's just go to the real thing instead of ripped from the headline things. Right, 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 right. Um, so anyway, uh, it does uh, – I mean, I, I'll tell you what. Like, if you if you are interested in what the reaction is, just go to uh, Netflix and search hashtag uh, – I'm sorry, go to Twitter, I should say, and search hashtag abducted in plain sight. And that will give you a sense of uh, how people feel when they watch this, which is to say they're very upset by it. But – um, if you want to hear the the details of this very uh, upsetting story about a family that was ripped apart, uh, then you should check out Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix. That's what I've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, how about you? I feel like, Dave, this is like <laughs> like couldn't get to your Netflix fast enough when this thing hit. This feels like catnip for you. I don't yeah. know what it is. You just want to put yourself through these things. Sometimes, Jeff. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, I have been watching um, season two of a show also on Netflix called Friends from College. This is a a show I enjoyed a lot in season one, but I don't feel like anybody talked about it. I never heard anybody talking about it. Well, also the the reviews of it were pretty brutal. You were one of the only people I know that liked it. Um, I I have heard like from other reviewers that season two is getting better. Yeah, I've heard season two is actually pretty solid. What do you think, Jeff? I think... Season two is the show. I think the first season was a prequel to the show. <laughs> it really feels like that. It feels like it feels like what the show is about is what's happening now. And it feels like we had to kind of go through what season one, even though I enjoyed season one, it really feels like backstory to what the actual interesting stuff they're talking about now. And again, this is a half hour comedy. It's not like there's this, you know, mythology or universe building <laughs> from friends with college friends from college but um basically I, without giving anything away from season 1 it's a bunch of friends from college who are now in their i would say mid to late 30s and they uh all sort of have messy romantic entanglements and i also felt and a lot of people felt uh, it was a little distasteful mining comedy from sort of uh gross you know infidelity and stuff like that a lot of infidelity in the first season that um that was kind of handled lightly and supposed to be kind of funny and charming almost or you kind they're of all pretty much assholes too. they're all like, assholes. i saw a couple episodes of the first season it's like there's difficult people the show and then this show is like terrible people just like yes. they're all the worst but it knows that, right? Billy Eichner is a character mm-hmm. in the show, and he is kind of there to be the audience surrogate, constantly reminding everyone how terrible these people are. He's he's uh, one of the characters' boyfriends, and he is constantly saying these are. He's like the one not friend from college. He's just a romantic interest to one right, of the other right. guys, and he just is constantly saying these are terrible people. And hello, these are they're awful. <laughs> so like then. The, the show is in on the gag, right? They know, the knows that there are they're bad people, but they're charmingly bad, and they are bad to each other. They're not like bad to everybody. So I don't know. I was in it for the first season. I thought it was really funny and really fun. Second season, I think, is a giant improvement. It really is even better. And the main reason for that is it doesn't let anybody off the hook for what we saw happen. It is really about the fallout of that and difficult, awkward, uncomfortable moments that result from it. Then it's really still very funny, I think, but it also has uh, a real groundedness that puts these characters through the repercussions of what they have done. And for that, I I'm really, really enjoying season two. I'm not quite done with it, but very close. And, uh, I like the show. I, I don't, I think people should give it a shot. It, it, my wife and I are both very much enjoying it. Very cool. The movie is, or I should say the show is Friends from College. You're on season two and it's on Netflix right now. And uh, you'd recommend, right? I, I do. Yes, very much. Hi, I'm Jesse Ware. I'm Lenny. And we're from the Table Manners podcast. And this week we're sponsored by Uniqlo. I'd really like to bring to your attention Uniqlo Airism. So it's a base layer that releases heat and moisture to keep you feeling cool. So Aerism fabric includes antimicrobial and deodorizing features to help you stay feeling fresh. 
And air is so lightweight and it's really, really super smooth, which stays invisible beneath the clothes. So you can wear this layer and still be really cool. And it's soft. It's really it's soft. soft. Gorgeous. So discover Aerism now in Uniqlo stores and online at uniqlo.com. All right, let's get to our review of the Lego movie. Uh, but before we do that, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. Uh, a big thanks to Matthew Javanshir and Zachary from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, thank you all so much for your contributions. If you want to help us defray the cost of uh, doing this show, seeing movies, putting on the show for you, uh, all you got to do is go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Uh, and you can also go to slashfilm.com, use the uh, slash filmcast tab, and then click on the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, we really appreciate any money you can donate, but you should never donate if it in any way creates a hardship for you uh, or inconveniences you. Uh, those who do have money, though, feel free to donate. If you don't have money, you can support us by leaving a kind review for us or a five-star rating or whatever uh, on iTunes, wherever your podcasts are sold. Uh, it's all uh, greatly appreciated. It helps us get the word out about the show. Thanks so much to our donors this week. Let's get to our review of the Lego movie, the second part. Times have changed. You need to change with them. We have to be tough and battle ready. Look, a shooting star, make a wish. <gasps> oh, no. Run! Ah! Hurry, the door is slowly closing. <laughs> oh, the pain. It's getting so cold. Emmett, what are you doing? Hooray! See, that wasn't so bad. Nothing got in. Ah, something got in. I'm General Mayhem. Bring me your fiercest leader. Lucy! Emmett! This is all my fault. Hang on to your fronts, Planny. We're going to save Lucy. Don't you tell me to smash! Mind if I save your life? Not at all. Who are you? The name's Rex Danger Vest. Galaxy defending archaeologist. Cowboy. And raptor trainer. <laughs> I don't get it. That was from the trailer of the Lego Movie 2, the second part. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. It's been five years since everything was awesome, and the citizens are facing a huge new threat. Lego Duplo invaders from outer space wrecking everything faster than they can rebuild. Uh, this movie was written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who wrote and directed the first movie, but it was directed by Mike Mitchell, um, so a uh, different director this time around. Uh, and it's been five years, and I think the question for me when I was watching this movie, right, is the first movie, the Lego movie, took what, at its premise, was a crassly commercial enterprise and made it into something fun, delightful, interesting, and really something that didn't feel like a cash grab at all. It felt like something – they took the premise that could easily have been a cash grab and made something beautiful and uh, and hilarious out of it. Uh, so my question going into this movie was, would the Lego Movie 2, the second part, do the same thing? And so, Jeff Kanata, what do you think? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my feelings about the Lego Movie Part 2 are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Mm. Let's, let's have it then, Jeff. Let's, let's hear the limerick. <laughs> As the dad of a girl and a boy, this story has me bursting with joy, seeing them craft more heart and more laughs from my favorite childhood toy. <laughs> nice. I mean, uh, I think you're missing a few syllables on, on that last line there, but... but uh... Favorite. 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 <laughs> childhood. 
so it sounds like you had a good time at the Lego movie uh, too, yes? I was right there with you uh, in 2014 when the Lego movie came out. It was my number one movie of the year. I could not wow. believe it. It felt like a miracle. It felt like a miracle. It it resonated with me. It made me weep and cheer. It was so funny and heartfelt and wonderful. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, there's no way they could do it again. There's no way they could do it again. But I think that Lego Movie 2 is about as perfect a sequel as I could have hoped. It It goes back in, I think, what seems to be an inevitable going to a place of, uh, that is inevitable for these, for this character, for this, for what was established in the first movie, but also was unexpected. Like it, in retrospect, it feels inevitable sort of dealing with the next, next step of adolescence of what toys and what moving through life, uh, as a, as a child moving into sort of preteenhood is about, it's about having siblings. It's, uh, it's still a wild, fun adventure that is hilarious and has tons of great one-liners and and visual gags and does really wonderful, inventive things with Lego themselves, Lego bricks themselves, and constructing wonderful things. All that great stuff. If you're a fan of the imagination of the Lego toy, it, it's still present. So it's got that that all of the things that made the first movie great. It retains that heart, the lessons like it's a it's a movie that I think is life affirming, that is kind of about the world today also and has a, such a positivity and uh, a, 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 you know, a realistic but also positive look at the world. You know, it it, mm-hmm. it takes the whole this is awesome song from the first one, which I think kind of came up with a phenomenon that they didn't quite see coming perhaps and really doubles down on it and takes a look at it with a critical eye and, and understands the ramifications of that. And I don't know, it's so smart. And so f- I loved it. I love the first one. And I think this one stands shoulder to shoulder with it. It is a great sequel. Do you think it's going to be your number one movie of 2019? You're, you're predicting it now. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it will be my number one again, but it, I think it's going to be in the top 10. I, mm. I think it's definitely going to be in the top. It's certainly sitting in my top 10. Here we are in February or, mm. you know, so it's, 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 uh, is better it's than Serenity, good. Jeff. I don't think that's, possible. I mean, just edging out <laughs> Serenity, you know, <laughs> your heart or your thoughts on the Lego movie to the second part. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think we all pretty much love the first movie. Um, this one feels not as surprising, not as big a splash, but I think it is just as good. I think it does a great job of kind of maturing the themes that the first movie built up and also continues exactly from where the first movie left off. Uh, but also updating them to a slight uh, to a world that feels like everything is on fire and the idea that everything is awesome just doesn't, doesn't really conflate anymore. And it's astounding to me that kids movie can kind of reflect that in a way like it it is sort of like the message. If you had kids today, how you if they're actually paying attention to what's happening or if they have questions about the news or all the crazy things they see and hear uh, that people in power who are supposed to be their role models are doing. um, I think this is kind of like a good message to send out there. And also, uh, yeah, it's also so much about siblings as much as the first movie was about a son and a father kind of getting along. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Just didn't feel as big as a surprise. I will say, um, you know, of course, this was written by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. You know, like it is 
everything they do tends to have that golden touch. Uh, they also wrote uh, into the spider verse, right? Um, we, we've been following their work for a while. I love that they keep doing this. They keep basically out. Um, they basically keep, what's the word, um, you know, exceeding our expectations. Yeah. And I think that's, that's generally what it is. Like I, I wasn't super excited for this movie. I didn't even see any trailers for it ahead of time. Um, but just sitting through it, it's such a fun and great experience. And I, I saw it in an audience filled with kids and with adults. And I think it was the adults laughing more honestly, uh, because they could kind of see what the movie was actually trying to say, but it was definitely just as enjoyable for the kids as well. Yeah, I had a great time with this movie. I think it's a delight. Uh, I agree with you, Devendra, that it's I, – I don't think it's quite as witty as the first one. And I didn't feel quite like the jokes happened as quickly and as rapid fire as the first one. You know, I felt right, like right. – the first one, I felt like I was being almost assaulted by the frequency. Of, it's like it's so quick, right? Like jokes like every uh, you know 10 seconds or 20 seconds or something like that. And it wasn't quite that pace um, from my perspective. This mo- this re- story really takes time to breathe a little bit. But uh, love the, the meta commentary stuff. I don't know that it'll age particularly well, um, but I certainly enjoyed watching it uh, you know, at the time. And I, I think uh, there are some really – I think actually the animation is significantly better than the first one. Like I, I oh, really? The, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I just really love the style. I felt like this is a full realization of the Lego style. And that's most clear, I think, in the character played by Tiffany Haddish, uh, Queen Whatever Wanabi, uh, which is, is such a amazingly designed character and <laughs> as amazingly executed character. I, I'm just like, I can't – like that character – essentially the concept is that her character has almost a different form – uh, every few frames, right? I don't know that like she repeats the same form in, in the entire film. Uh, it, it certainly didn't feel like she did, and th- that's just like an amazing achievement in character design, in my opinion. So, uh, technically, it's dazzling. It's just super fun script, I a, and also as you as you indicated, Jeff, it has a kind of great message about growing up and um, and getting along with siblings and. Uh, and that kind of stuff. And I, I just think it's uh, it's a great time. So I think there's a little bit more to discuss in spoilers, but anything else we want to mention before we get to that? No? Then let's, good. let's get to spoilers for the Lego movie, the second part starting right now. now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So I, I want to point out a, a couple of things. I, I made this tweet today about how I think it's interesting this movie could be read in a bunch of different ways, right? Uh, a repudiation of Chris Pratt's career, a pointed critique of DC superhero <laughs> films, uh, or a tribute to the beauty of siblinghood. And I think, like, I'm kind of interested in what the movie has to say about DC movies about Chris Pratt's career, about kind of this gritty, grim, dark era we find ourselves in yep. in general, right? Because mm-hmm, I think the yeah. movie is uh, th- there is this guy, right, the Rex Danger Vest or whatever his name is, right, who represents kind of a hardcore, gritty, uh, grim action hero. Yeah. Um, He's the action hero fanboys want, right? Basically. Right, and yeah. and he. We think we start off rooting for him, but then we learn that he's the bad guy. And um, I I thought that was an interesting message. You know, it it seemed like the movie's trying to say, 
hey, uh, you may think that being pure of heart and earnest is lame. And and you may think that it's the right direction to uh, take your stories or to take your characters in this kind of gritty, dark place. Uh, But really, there is a lot of goodness that can be derived from uh the the kind of pure hearted you know notion of like let's be happy everything is awesome like th- there is still value in that perspective in the world that was that was i, I don't know that's kind of what i felt the movie yes. might be trying to say what, what do you mm-hmm. think Jeff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. absolutely and, and it's I, I would go even farther and say that it, it it's saying that that notion of not feeling of pushing down your open-heartedness and repressing any kind of you know goodness in you and 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 being detached and aloof and cynical is perceived as being more mature and it isn't right right that 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 thing isn't isn't growing up that's not what growing up is that's not that's what young people think growing up is that's what young people think cool is and it's it's neither of those things right it's it is um it, it is the villain. It's it's the thing that gets in the way of connection with people and doing what's right and you know being a hero. And I thought that was beautiful. You know, I'm 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 the father of an older son and a younger daughter, and I also happen to be an older brother with a younger sister. So even though my kids aren't quite old enough to to have these interactions yet, I already see my older son wanting to smash, you know, like mm-hmm. the, his superpower was that he could smash things. <laughs> and my older son already kind of sees my younger daughter, like messing with stuff and wants to <laughs> smash it and break it and take it away from her and stuff. And, you know, I lived through that in my own life with, as being, being an older brother and the younger sister, my sister and I got along very well, but the, the point that this movie is making of, uh, you know, you're not, you're not more sophisticated. You're not more mature. You're not closer to being grown up just because you can be detached and aloof and cynical and break stuff. And, you know, that I loved that message. I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I've often said that, uh, you know, um, wholesome is the new punk rock, right? Because it's, it's so easy to be cynical these days. It's so, it's the, it's the default position, Everything is, uh, you know, full of cynicism, full of detached, you know, the, the, uh, South Parkification of the world where everything is lame. Everything is, is worthy of your satire and, and disdain and nothing that you put your heart into deserves it. There's, there's no reason to have put your heart into it. It's, the, it's internet culture, right? It's, it's everything is for the lulls. It, you know, it's your fault for caring because you shouldn't care about anything. And I've often felt that uh, caring is super punk rock now because nobody does it. And I mm-hmm. love that this movie is making that same point, like care, invest, be present, you know, try all those things that have gone out of fashion. Tragically, uh, this movie is in support of and it's it. it it expresses it in a beautiful, fun, adventurous, and funny way. Mm-hmm. I think it's also interesting that the you know th- these movies were made by Warner Brothers, which also makes the DC uh, superhero films, mm-hmm. and it almost felt like this movie is directly addressing movies like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, right? It, it, like yeah. that, almost definitely that the yeah. DC movies have 
in general, gone more in the direction of what you just said, Jeff. Right? That mm-hmm. if you track, if you go from Man of Steel to uh, Aquaman, it's it's being it's started at like super dark, super gritty, uh, super upsetting. Uh, you know, a lot of brooding. To uh, yeah, my man, you know, like yeah. it, to, I also love that they like, got the real life Aquaman. Yeah. And his, uh, two catchphrases into this movie. That was I'm, very I'm delightful. Yeah, to see that, you know, to see Aquaman in the movie. Um, random Bruce uh, Bruce Willis cameo. I thought that was like <laughs> funny. I'm not sure exactly why he's here, but it, kind it was, of came out of nowhere. He yeah. he also sounded like he was having more fun there than in Glass. <laughs> that's true um but uh yeah it, it the, the the dc movies have gotten more in that direction i think that's a good thing but um certainly it was not always that way and i i did think it was like kind of a pointed message about those <laughs> early dc movies uh you know the ones after like the dark knight dark knight rises kind of thing um and even the dark knight dark knight rises one could argue so uh, yeah. So I, I I thought that was uh, that was interesting, but also what this movie is trying to say is that nothing that Chris Pratt has done after Parks and Recreation is of value, right? <laughs> I think that's another message you could easily get. Uh, from... I think there's also a, a thread of uh, gender relations, you know, of um, uh-huh. uh, you know, the idea that. I think nerd culture in general. I mean, it's no coincidence that Batman is, you know, given a sort of pink uniform and made to get married and sort of that's mm-hmm. a sign of him losing, you know, it's like we have to stop the marriage of Batman. I, I think there is ways to read this movie as, you know, a repudiation of these insular cultures that endeavor to keep women out of them, to keep women uh, away and uh, not think that they're, you know, worthy of being comic book fans or genre right. movie Be- or TV fans or whatever. Because Emmett's mm-hmm. ultimate act is to annihilate the gigantic pink cake, right? Right. And that yeah. that, that is seen as like a bad thing, right? That that he, yeah. he has he has committed the ultimate crime at that moment. Um a yeah. couple things I want to highlight too. Uh Sometimes you're watching a movie and you just get gobsmacked. You get like hit in the head with a moment that is so artful and beautiful and and compelling that it feels like it's out of a different movie, maybe out of like one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, which I don't think this is. But it has one of my favorite movie moments of all time, which is the moment when Rex Danger Vest gets thrown under the uh, laundry machine uh, and... Then you see the world from his eyes, like time lapse over the course of what appears to yeah. be many months, yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I was in awe of that sequence. I mean, that I was just like, "This is so incredible! How this this filmmaking is just so incredible." You know what I mean? Like uh, that they it just it just visually the way it shows the passage of time and like how that affects him. You feel the impact of those, you know, what in Lego years is probably like lost years, but in reality is probably like, you know, a few weeks or whatever. Yeah. And I also um, took that as like a statement of a lot of nerd culture, too, because the way this kind of happens, right? These cultures are very insular. It's typically guys alone in their rooms trying to like, you know, yeah. uh, bond over like these things on Reddit and other forums. But it's very it's very insular. It's not very like um, there's not much of a group aspect of to it other than 
you know, talking with other dudes about how badass certain things are. And I found that kind of interesting too. Like that isolation is what mm-hmm. breeds it. He's not a bad guy. He's just kind of yeah. It's the isolation that created the ba- the badness, right? Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Guys hang out in their own rooms. They like record podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, never they see just, the world. They just never. It's rough. They never go outside. They just like spend all the time on the podcast. I have no idea what any of that's like, though. Um, <laughs> any uh, any other thoughts on the movie? Maya Rudolph makes a nice uh, cameo. Oh I man, that was pretty funny. That- <laughs> the part where she steps on the thing, it steps on the Lego piece, and she like compares it to childbirth. It, it had me roaring, dude. That was really funny. I love the meta. I love that the meta moments extended even to uh, the real world. When she's like, "Look, I'm not the bad guy here. I'm more of a amusing side character," <laughs> you know. And I yeah. just thought, I thought that was a uh, that was a delight as well. And then the and there, movie... there may be nothing more brilliant ever in movies than your mama Geddon. That's <laughs> <laughs> the most brilliant thing. Yeah, it's very good. We have to stop the Your Mamageddon. Come on. <laughs> That's so good. I also thought it was kind of interesting when the movie ended and like almost prematurely, you know what I mean? And you think the movie's yeah. like just going to end there. And I thought, wow, that would have been bold, right? That would have been bold <laughs> if it ended right there. Uh, but it didn't. Um, but that would have been something. Yeah. I hope I hope for the next one though that they move forward because they're showing us more and more of the real world than we ever saw in the first movie, right? So now now we get a sense of like who this family is and they have a bigger house and everything. Let's go full Toy Story with this in the next movie. And I also want to see this family, uh, you know, with Will Ferrell as father. And uh, he clearly couldn't be bothered to come in. <laughs> he, he literally phoned in this entire. Phoned it in. It's fine. It's fine. But I, I feel like that could be a really fun movie too. Uh, yeah, for something. Yeah. All right. It's um, so good. I mean, we didn't, even, we didn't even talk about action sequences or it's it's wonderful. I think that this movie has as much heart and as much mm-hmm. of a message as it has, that that's the meat of what we all wanted to talk about, because the movie also has awesome action sequences and cool ideas and neat visuals. I mean, just on a pure adventure tale like kids movie, it works as well. And yet. We're all, you know, it, it's takes a backseat to more important things, I think. Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we all loved it. Uh, I actually went with my friend and his uh, son to go see it. And uh, the kid <laughs> loved it and went to play with his Legos afterwards. It's uh, awesome. <laughs> you know, I think I think it's a movie that kids and adults uh, can enjoy. And uh, it's. Did it, you guys? Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Dave. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Did you see the uh, the they have put out the um, Statue of Liberty playset, and it <laughs> is it is the new record for most pieces in a Lego. I can't imagine what the price tag is. I didn't, that, but my didn't even look, but yeah, it's it it beat I don't know some Millennium Falcon or something that now has the most pieces of any set you can buy, and it's that huge post apocalyptic. Uh, um, Statue of Liberty leaning to one side base that they start in. Have any of you ever been tempted by the Lego Star Wars Millennium Falcon building kit? I bought it 10 oh, years you, ago. You, you bought it. So this is the... I bought it. Bef- I bought it before it went out of print and I, I bought it for five hundred dollars hmm. and I didn't put it together and it went up to five thousand dollars on eBay <laughs> And I was like, I'm hanging on to this baby. And then they re- reprinted it. And now it's back to. You know, oh. <laughs> so did you ever put it together, Jeff? 
I have not put it together. I'm I'm uh I'm saving it for my son and my daughter and I oh. to do together. Oh wow. Well uh I admire both your, your fatherhood and also how hardcore you are buying a five hundred dollar Lego set that has seventy five hundred pieces <laughs> in it. Well, uh, I I'm sure the universe will smack me down and both my kids will be completely uninterested in Star Wars. And you, you uh, know what, Jeff? You know what, Jeff? I'm gonna put this out there. If your kids don't want to put it together with you, I will. All right. I'm gonna. Then I have to adopt you, and it's a whole messy <laughs> no, situation. No, I mean, I'll just I'll just come down and visit, and we'll we'll make a project out of it. All right. I think Let's... that sounds delightful. Let's just do this. Screw my kids. Let's just do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. Anyway, that's gonna bring us to the end of our uh, review of the Lego Movie Two, the second part. But stick around for our After Dark about Russian Doll. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Jeff Kanata. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I also do a video game podcast that's called DLC. And you can find that anywhere you get podcasts or by visiting 5x5.tv slash DLC. your Hardware. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech and gadget.com. And I'm also doing a tech QA podcast at nomoretech.net. That's no with a K. And you can find all my stuff at davechen.net. I'm also making two YouTube videos per month at youtube.com slash davechensky. That's davechensky. Uh, be sure to subscribe. There's some, some good stuff there already. And there's going to be more great stuff coming the rest of the year. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. And stick around for our After Dark about Russian Doll. He watched the movies, flicks, tracks for the good All right, everyone, it's time for the After Dark, where we talk about a variety of random topics. And today we're going to talk about Russian Doll uh, on Netflix, which is the eight-part uh, series uh, starring Natasha Lyonne as Nadia Volvikov. Let's fuck this party in the mouth. Sweet birthday, baby! No, life short, carpe diem, etc., right? What I do in my time is my business, my choice, baby! Hey! We'll just say right up top uh, that we'll, we'll say a few brief words about the show and then we're going to have to dive into spoilers because it's basically impossible to talk about without spoilers. I will say that, uh, uh, first of all, I, I really didn't like the show after episode two. I thought I, I'm not going to finish it. It's like feels like a really warmed over, crappier version of Groundhog Day. Uh, but then I got to episode three, and from that point on, I was hooked. Right. So I, I am right in the same boat with you, Dave. I found the first two episodes really inter- interesting, featuring a bunch of characters that I did not like yeah. and did not want to know more about, and found kind of distasteful and not fun. And then episode three happened. So. Yep. Regardless of what you think about Russian Dolls, if you're considering watching it, watch at least through episode – the end of episode three. Yes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's literally the end of episode three and see if it hooks you at that point. If not – Yep. Peace out of there. Peace out of there. There you go. But, but, there you go. But I'm all, glad all you guys three of us, like, kept going. Yeah. yeah. All, all three of us got through the entire series 
And I would say it was time well spent. You know, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit and found that it did some really interesting things with the, the Groundhog Day day repeating concept. Um, I agree. So, it, it is, uh, it's better than it starts out with. And, uh, I ended up, um, very much glad that I watched it and it, it's only half hour episodes and there's only eight of them. So it's not a huge time yeah. commitment either. Yeah. It's like an extra long movie basically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get to spoilers for Russian doll starting now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I think there's so many mm-hmm. interesting, great things about this show, right? Can, can, can I ask you guys, though, like, yeah. what was the turning point for you? Like specifically, because I just kind of I, I was so into it from the beginning. I just kind of rushed through the first four episodes in one sitting. So what was the turning point at the end of episode three and everything that really well, made the, it interesting to you? The fact that there's a second. Yeah, there's a second in, in person going through the Groundhog Day as well. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, I mean, that's a, that's something I've never seen with this formula before. And uh, I, I for me, the whole time I was just like, I I really don't care for these people. Yeah, and I, yep. I, But I, I like this. I don't want to say sci-fi fantasy, whatever the fantastical element is, mm-hmm. I, I like, and I want this to pay off, but I'm afraid it's not going to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm afraid this is all just going to be a character study of characters that I don't particularly like. And then the, that second character came in and I went, oh, and then episode four is like starts with him. It's yeah. all about him. Yeah. It's like, oh. You, you know what's funny is that Netflix is actually, there are trailers for both characters. So there's oh, really? a trailer for the guy and there's a trailer for Natasha Leon's character. I've never seen the one for the guy before. Yeah. At one point I was just like browsing through and they showed the guy's trailer mm. and it was just like his whole story at the beginning and then Natasha Leon pops up at the end. So it, they weren't trying to hide that, I think is what's really interesting too. Uh, but I do agree. Like once they add that level of complication to it, it's like, oh, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Now well, that is interesting. Well, yeah. it, it starts off as a show that you are, you think of as Groundhog Day-esque. Mm-hmm. But it ends much closer to a movie like Your Name, which I think yeah. is like a – it's about like two people who otherwise would have absolutely no reason to interact with each other, uh, being profoundly connected and then like changing as a result of that connection. And that is just a like you – know, it's it, it's an awesome idea and difficult mm-hmm. to pull off and the the show pulled it off, right? And that's like – a really impressive achievement, in my opinion. So most definitely. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's when there's another dude, and and then and, and here's what also is interesting about her is is um, it's one of the only shows that I think that really tries to make a good faith effort at explaining what is going on, right? Like why is the repeating day happening, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. what are the mechanics of the repeating day, and like exploring that is really interesting to me, right? That. That, I'm not so sure it does that too well, but <laughs> well, well, okay. well. At least it, they, like, it brings up some interesting concepts. Yeah, I like think, she, she's, like, she's saying, like it's yeah. hilarious. She says, uh, "Hey, I have a lot of theories as to why this is happening. Like my leading theory right now is that we're the same person." <laughs> I just, I thought that was so funny, and uh, and she's, Which would she's be kinda, every film nerd's first guess, right? She's breaking yeah. the fourth wall. She's kind of saying, like, "Here's here's the things that you might be thinking are happening, right?" Which is that we're right. the same person. But I don't think the movie actually explains. It's true. It's What's true. The movie doesn't actually on. explain like mm-hmm. why this occurred. Um, right. It it makes but I think a leather hunches the, pay off. 
yeah, it, it makes explicit the moral reason why it occurred, right? But it doesn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it doesn't say like, oh, there was a quantum jump in space time, right. blah blah. And it doesn't. You're right about that, Jeff. So, so no, but I mean, I, even even farther, I would say the it, there's a lot of red herrings. There's a lot of stuff that seems significant that it sort of just lets like there's this a bunch of imagery with regard to mirrors that seems significant that kind of doesn't ever really get explained. There's uh, you know, people start disappearing, which is sort of like a sort of like a ticking clock, I guess, sort of like a uh, Marty McFly's photograph in mm-hmm. Back to the Future. Yeah. But which is cool. But I kind of wish there was more ramification to that. And there's also like. I mean, if you really think through what happens, which which is cool at the end, I, I dig the end in the sense that they both get stuck in their own timelines with. The other half that like their timelines interlocked for a long time mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. s- split apart again. But if that's true, if if they both had to save each other in their own timelines, it means every timeline that they experienced also is a legitimate timeline. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so all the fucked up stuff that they did, <laughs> people lived through right. like, yeah, there's a timeline when her surrogate mother literally killed her dead. <laughs> and that is the reality for that person. Yeah. You know that's that's harsh. That's dark. Yeah. You know? Agreed. Agreed. I mean, but, I I could I, I I always felt that way about Groundhog Day as well. By the way, <laughs> that all those like timelines were one thing, and like yeah, like it's I uh, always, I, it's funny. I always thought Groundhog Day was just happening for him, and mm-hmm. he was like he kept resetting and resetting and resetting. <laughs> and it, those people didn't live on. You know, it just was like a he he was the a record that you know, was mm-hmm. repeat scratching or whatever. I think uh, for all these movies, you could make that argument basically like, well, but this movie is like explicitly says these yeah. timelines are ongoing. I kind of, it's like, Hey, by the way, you've been watching this, uh, this conceit for decades now. Uh, what if, by the way, it's not just all fun and games. Uh, yeah, the universe continues. These people have to deal with the deaths of people they love. And <laughs> yeah. this has happened many, many times. I love the whole uh, disappearing people thing and things kind of breaking and disappearing, by the way, because the way they explain it was just so simple. It's like uh, time is relative. So <laughs> the way they're seeing it, it is aging. It is decaying. It is going away. But for everybody else, they can't really see that. And that kind of blew my mind for a while. The idea that you could be seeing the world in a completely different way and like just your your reality does not reflect everybody else's is is kind of astounding honestly for a show like this yeah well and here's the, what the, here's the what blew my mind was great too mm-hmm. here's what blew my mind was uh the idea that you could repeat the day and that extremely minor differences mm-hmm. would result in the day going a completely different way right um so there's that moment when uh, alex i think is his name right the character um, he he is having the talk with his girlfriend where his girlfriend breaks up with him. And he says something like slightly different or slightly at a yeah. different time than usual. And mm-hmm. then discovers that she's been cheating on him the whole time. Yeah. And it's what I so, loved about... Yeah. Go, go ahead. Dave, well, it just, it just is so, so amazing. That, like, it makes me think of like, oh, like all the days I've lived where like if I had just waited an extra five seconds or uh-huh. uh, or been five seconds early with something I said would my life be different today, right? Like, would, yeah. would you have changed the course of your life? Uh, just, it's the same situation, but just, like, the timing of things or how you feel that day, it can alter, like, everything. Um, I, so I true. The way the show brought that out, I thought was really uh, astounding. So go Butterfly ahead, Butterfly flaps its wings. Butterfly flaps yeah. its wings. Yeah. Um, I loved a, a take 
you know, this is uh, this at this point is an established genre of this Groundhog Day phenomenon, right? But the take of a guy stuck in it who is fastidious and likes routine and so does still does the same yeah, thing right? every day yeah. because he, he <laughs> wants the routine of it. Like that is a cool take I've never seen before and really liked. It's it's a it's just fucked up. Like you're really gonna put yourself through. Like just don't go to your girlfriend's house, dude. Like, like what are you doing? He has no other way to live. Yeah. I kind of love how it's both that. So he has to learn how to like break out of his mold and kind of. This is the whole point. Like he didn't even understand why his girlfriend kind of broke up with him. Um, it's all that understanding. Like the life you're living is kind of broken in a way. And Natasha Leone's character Nadia is like it's completely different. It's her not not valuing her life and her connections in a way, too. And like uh, the show feels so deeply human to me. And it reminds me a lot of uh, I was thinking a lot of Terriers, that beloved FX show from back in the day. And then I realized uh, Leslie Headland, one of the co-creators, was a writer in Terriers. Mm. It's just it's weird. I can even feel that from like the bones and the character interactions in this show. It's just like. That that was kind of astonishing to me too. That also blew my mind. That felt like a Russian doll moment. It's like, of course, of course, they're connected. Yes. I think what's crazy about the second half of this movie, like in my opinion, the final three episodes are amazing. Like uh, on a whole different plane of existence than you know the first half of the show. I mean, first first of all, you got this whole horror thing going on. And yeah, she's yeah. coming like the the I think one of the first shots of the whole show is establishing how full the party is with mm-hmm. like that long continuous shot. Some people would call it a tracking shot that like follows her through the party. And you see like dozens and dozens of people like packed to the gills with all these people that, you know, are there to celebrate her birthday. And then as, like the first time she walks out the door and there's no one there or there's like f- like only one person there. It's, oh, yeah. It's really upsetting. It's like that's terrifying. Wow. Like what is happening? Like. The, the movie has set it up so much that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's going to repeat again. Da, 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 da. And then when that doesn't happen, that's upsetting. And then then one, no, you're right. It starts yeah. as a comedy and really becomes a horror show. Yes, it, it really does. It's crazy. Yeah. And then and then yeah. uh, she uh, exits, and then there's no one there. There's just that friend of hers <laughs> and her like, friend who's like stuck in a loop. Yeah, she's stuck in like a programming loop or something. And it's then like, I can't leave. Yeah, she's like, like, she's like, can you come with me? She's like, I can't leave. And it's like. Whoa! At that point, I'm like, I am freaking terrified of what's yeah. like. I am so scared. And, and then, that's when it, the show also gets like blood coming out of people, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. spitting blood on a little girl's face. I mean, it gets the the first two to three episodes are really sort of goofy comedy, yeah. You know, with fuck piles and you know, like just just kind of broad stuff. And, and then it's like answer, David Lynch. Yeah. It becomes Lynchian, yeah. you know, in the yeah. second half. It's so it's so it's such a surprise. But it, re- it really gets into what the show is about, right? Because it is the existential horror of coming to terms with life in your 30s, I yeah. guess, right? Like this, this is it. I gotta, I, I gotta like either appreciate it or if something is kind of like messed up and not quite working, like get better at improving myself uh, or something like that. And like the, this is existential horror, definitely on a Lynchian level of these that, characters, like just trying, trying to figure out the value of their lives. You know, it's that that difference between the full party, which Natasha Leone didn't appreciate at all. She just kind of like, um, yeah, wanted to escape as quickly as possible. And she did that for most of the series and then confronting the empty party and realizing, oh, maybe I needed that or something. Or maybe I didn't appreciate what I had. And and that mom character is deeply disturbing. 
uh, oh man that broke my heart yeah it is um it really it really changes tone pretty drastically Mm -hmm. uh and and you know it it, even within individual timelines it's like there's a moment where the i can't remember the guy's name the the dude who's you know cheating on you know cheating with beatrice Mm -hmm. uh, and then he shows up at her house with his kid and he's like a really good guy for one time. Well, at least in that moment, he yeah. said that was so weird when he it, yeah. it was like, "Oh, they're all they're all getting along." It, that, 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 yeah, that was a little weird. <laughs> it was odd. But yeah. I did think that last episode had several really amazing moments. Um, mm-hmm. the, the opening shot where it's kind of like overhead and you see their yeah. their worlds like colliding, like the fly goes through the wall and emerges the other side, and all the split screen stuff. Was so good. All the split screen the, stuff. When you realize split screen yeah. is something. Yeah. When, when you realize that they're kind of in their own different realities, it's like both terrifying. But then when they mm-hmm. finally the realities finally come back together again, it's such a it's such a beautiful, compelling moment. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but there is a shot when Natasha Leone is walking into the parade, right, and she takes like a torch, and then it mm-hmm. cuts to the reverse shot of that, and you see her face, and there's two Natasha Leone standings yeah. like that yeah. that kind of pass by her on her left and her right side yeah uh just it happens for like a split second and yeah. i actually paused and looked at it i was like whoa that's really interesting and mind-bending visual right there mm-hmm. um yeah I, I thought that last episode like the concept and the execution and the idea that like oh this person like can we actually like re- have we learned enough that we can actually redeem this other person um be selfless enough to help them out. It's such a it's such a beautiful sentiment, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and and that is is executed so well. So, yeah, this is like I've, it I've, is the Lego Movie too for adults, yeah. basically. Like it <laughs> yeah. it is all about like helping each other and trying to lift each other up. And you see somebody in need, and there's that split second. Like, do I do I help this person, or do I just keep walking and go on with my day? And like you think about like. Oh man, if I stop and help, and if this is serious or something, like this is going to take up time of my day, and I was going to go see a movie or something, like I, I got work to do. It is about those moments, and the moment they come down to is when she's, you know, she's at the bodega, she sees Alan kind of stumbling and having trouble at the back, and choosing not to help him or choosing like not to do much there. Um, I, I found that kind of fascinating. It is. It, it's not just like the butterfly flapping its wings, but it's also like those tiny moments in your life where things can go completely differently. You know, depending on how you interact with them. Did yeah. you guys think that there was a? I'm curious. Like, what was the explanation you had in your head for why the final timeline started? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, she kind of goes to see the girl and the, and then spits blood all over her and then takes glass mm-hmm. out of her mouth and then the girl says like, "She's still inside you. Like, you still need to get her out." Basically. Yep. Um, but why, why is that the thing that caused it? Do you know what I mean? Like that, that was what I was curious about. I don't know if there, if you had an explanation, like, it, like she has finally reached the point where she's grown emotionally enough that she can, mm-hmm. you know, is that, is that what it was? Like, I'm curious. I, I feel like that's it. I have to rewatch the final episodes, honestly, to like really dive into this, but it did feel like the final test for both of them was like, okay, you, you learned this lesson, right? We've had all these, uh, dry runs. Here's your final shot. You have you have a timeline again. You have your timeline. Make you know, do what you've learned. Can you make this happen? And I also want to know, like, do you guys think the timeline's actually united at the end? Because I that's not the impression I got. Oh yeah, I don't think they oh, don't actually think so. became one okay. timeline. Um, okay, I, I don't think they actually became one timeline. But I think like no. in in spirit they were united in that mm-hmm. like these mm-hmm. two people had found each other again, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, so that's that's how I felt about it. Jeff, any thoughts on that whole, you know, the final stuff there? I, I'm trying to remember the exact sequence of events because it, it, I, you know, marathon the the last few episodes, so it all kind of blurs together. But um, I know, I remember them both knowing. Like, he has that moment where he's leaving, and he's like, "This could be the last time." we say anything to each other yeah. because they both knew it was, which kind of landed weirdly to me. Like, how do they mm-hmm. know for sure that this is it? Um, but they both knew that this, they had achieved something. I can't remember what that trigger exactly was, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, 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 as much as I sort of came to appreciate the show in the last few episodes, it's still a little clunky to me mm-hmm. uh, in in some of the execution. I agree. And, I agree. And I still think it gives time to things that it, it didn't need to and could have emphasized other things that would have made it clearer. Uh, but maybe it doesn't really want to be clear. I think mm-hmm. it's it's kind of working on a – I mean the whole show – feels a little ethereal and a little dreamy, you know? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot, we don't ask David Lynch to explain his stuff. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of imagery out there and a lot of symbolism to work with. You mentioned the mirror stuff, Jeff. And I think I'm glad the, that the show didn't really say anything explicit because it is, it is saying so much like the whole point of the show is like how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves may not always reflect reality. It may be like our perception may be off in that, kind of harms how we act uh in daily life or something there's a lot of that reflection is like a major theme uh you know not just how we see ourselves but how other people see us there's a lot there's a lot of i think uh somebody somebody already wrote a big uh deep post like trying to decrypt the symbolism i think it was matt solar sites um so yeah look around for that i'm sure this is gonna be a show that we're gonna be decrypting just like the best lynching stuff for sure one other thing I really liked about the movie is the uh, the way that it's conveyed to you that they both die at the same time every mm-hmm. time. Because like, immediately when it's like there's two people on the Groundhog Day, my mind is thinking, how is that possible? <laughs> because they're like, are they just in sync? And then it turns out the answer is yes, they're basically in sync. They both die at the same time, which I thought uh, was very clever. Like there's something – there's some big force in the universe that's that's causing this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was another uh, needle that this this movie had to, or the show had to thread that it did a pretty good job of. So, okay. Um, any other thoughts? I mean, I think overall, Jeff, right? Like we we're really glad that we we brought it back. Uh, that we, we I'm we so glad you guys finished yeah. it up. Yeah, I it's, also. It's- it's uncommon to have that big of a pendulum swing for yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate, I kind of appreciate a show all the more when it's, when that's possible to change my opinion so drastically. Um, but this is really one of those shows, you know, people always say, Oh, you got to watch at least the first season. This really is one of those shows. You have to watch at least the first three episodes. And again, that's an hour and a half of time. So it's not, you know, huge investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, like, I just want to point out like how much of the show is built on, Natasha Leone just being like this is pure her swagger, right? She's being yeah. a foul-mouthed, cynical New Yorker, and I love seeing her do that. But the show kind of revels in it. Like I know, I I know her. I know these people. I know these people who have lived in New York forever and have so many stories about the city and are so jaded about it too. Uh, but meanwhile, their lives are amazing. They have these amazing friends and go to these crazy parties and they fail to see the joy in it sometimes. And it felt so realistic to me. Um, just kind of love to see that she's getting a chance to shine completely. 
this this show is not cast like any other show mm-hmm. on television. It is there is a, a unconventional choice after unconventional choice for all these characters, and uh, it doesn't feel like any other show on TV. It doesn't look or like any other show on TV, and it it has actors that you would normally see in you know as the sort of one episode character mm-hmm. the being, side characters maybe yeah, yeah being a you know front and center in this show and I, I give a lot of credit for that too indeed indeed uh great casting all around and overall uh, a really uh great experience um couple of other things I want to mention number one Jeff you you're saying some things are clunky I do think that this show does suffer a bit from you know Netflix syndrome where uh mm-hmm. it does take a little bit longer than uh, I think it needed to yeah. to get to its point. I think there's Thank like God it's not twelve episodes, right? right. Uh, but yeah. I, but usually you, you watch a Netflix series, it's like twelve episodes, and I'm like that could have been like eight episodes, mm-hmm. right? And this one is eight episodes, and I feel like it could have been maybe seven, right? So it's not uh, like it's yeah. not like I think um, uh, every episode, you know, or there's a mm-hmm. huge chunk that needed to be taken out. Maybe just a little bit tighter would have been nice. Yeah, um, I, I also mean, think eight short eps is basically three or what four, you know, four normal Netflix episodes. So yeah. in that way, it does feel shorter than I'd expect still. I also think that it's pretty great that, um, you know, this is a, definitely a show that rewards repeat viewing because uh, a lot of the stuff that you see in the first episode is recontextualized. And that's great because right. you see a guy and he's talking on the phone. You're like, oh, well, you, you form an opinion of them, right? You're, you're like, oh, well, that guy is probably an, an asshole or something. And mm-hmm. then, um, like, as time goes on, you learn more and more about these people and then your your opinion, like, solidifies. And it, it kind of it does mirror... It basically mirrors like the experience of getting to know someone, right? You you mm-hmm, you you mm-hmm. talk to them for like one interaction, and you have like okay, that this person is this kind of person. You put them into a box, and then the more you learn about them, the more like that thing fluctuates, right? And I know I'm probably just talking about like any movie in general, but it felt particularly cute in this movie where y- the the things you find out about these characters are like vast in their implications, right? Right. right. This guy, oh, he's a literature professor talking to a girl on the phone. Um, uh, he sounds kind of douchey. Like that's your first opinion of them. Then later you realize, oh, he's the one that's cheat, and then oh, he's like a sex <laughs> addict, right? And then it's like, oh, like he's really, really terrible, right? Yeah. And that's like yeah. it's like you're you're making these like conclusions by leaps and bounds at that point. It's not like you're like, oh, I had a coffee with him, and now I think he's also funny a little bit. You know, like it's it's really um interesting the way the character the 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 show does character building. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Even assholes it. have humanity, basically. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's it. Yeah. Any other thoughts? If not, I think we can wrap I'm up uh, this after dark. But thanks for listening to uh, our discussion of Russian Doll. Hope you enjoy it uh, on Netflix if you have a chance. And let us know what you thought at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Uh, we'll see you next week. I'm the only one that remembers the Beatles. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotting just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who?